You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Now, as we're about to tell by my slightly dry voice, we just finished our podcast uh, with Andy Gladwin yesterday. Uh, and waking up today after talking so much, <laughs> uh, my voice is a little bit uh, older. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the reason I'm putting this on the front of our amazing podcast that we just had yesterday with Andy Gladwin is because we forgot to shout out our site, <laughs> thedailymagician.com. Uh, of course, it's not because we don't feel passionate about it. It's uh, because we get so caught up in our guests that we often forget things like that. So uh, please head over to thedailymagician.com, sign up there for our daily emails. You will not be disappointed. We're constantly producing high-level content, uh, and we'd love to have you as a uh, part of our growing community. So without further ado, I'll let Jacob with the future do the rest of the talking. Hello, and welcome back to Of Slides and Men. Uh, we're very excited uh, to be here today with a, a very special guest who I think uh, Benji's gonna gonna do a quick intro for Benji. If you wanna take that away, yeah. So actually, Andy already did all the hard work of this because I just pulled this straight from his website. But um, <laughs> let me let me let me read what uh, Andy has to say, or whoever wrote Andy's website has to say about him. So Andy Gladwin makes events both unbelievable and unforgettable. He's a world class course up sleight of hand magician who's performed all over the world at prestigious events such as on the world's most expensive private yacht over New Year's Eve a Las Vegas television special, and even in Washington, D.C. for President Obama's inauguration. Um, but that's just the description we tend to give to the layman. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're a magician, uh, you know the name Andy Gladwin has a whole extra layer to it. Andy Gladwin is the co-founder of Vanishing Inc., um, everybody's favorite magic company, um, and publisher of premium magic books. Speaking of Andy, you have a new book out, don't you? I do. Yeah. How exciting. At least for me anyway. Yeah. I have a new book called The Boy Who Cried Magic and it came out four days ago and it's just been the most crazy four days for me. We, uh, we printed more of these books than any other book we've ever printed. And already after 24 hours, we had to reprint, uh, you know, press, press the reprint button, uh, with the printers. And Not because bad gonna, to have, is it? <laughs> I, I, it's a it's a crazy thing for me. I never expected that kind of thing. So yeah, it's been just the most mad few days of you know. Right now, we are trying to buy copies of the book back from other magic shops just so oh, that yeah. I think customers can, <laughs> uh, can have it. On the retail. It's on the it's on the uh, it's like Supreme at this point, right? <laughs> Supreme. I'll take it. I mean, it's definitely not, but I like it anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Is, is it? How are you feeling right now? Is it? Is it that kind of? Because we had a uh, Dr. Dr. Michael Rubenstein on the show the other day, and uh, he was talking about his book, uh, and we were discussing how you know sometimes when you get to the end of this huge project, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, like uh, like I'm so done. I, I think it was Maurice Muller actually that said that. He, it, was, it was Maurice Muller that we were talking with, and he was saying like you get to the end of this project, and you've been working on it for so long, and then it's kind of like it releases it, and you kind of you're just like done with it, you know, like you put so much work into it. Are you in that party or you're kind of like in this like happy mode where you just like, just like excited for the feedback or you're kind of still in the launch? That's a long question, but I hope you get the point of what I'm trying to say. I, I, I definitely do. And and I know, yeah, I, I know that most magicians would probably say, because remember, I, I published magic books. So I talk to mm-hmm. magicians about this. They'd probably go, yeah, you know what? I'm exhausted now. It's been a busy, busy few days, but I'm, riding on a high right now i i can't 
imagine a time where where I won't be happy uh, about this project. And yeah, it's I'm feeling good right now. Yeah, I'm I'm not even tired uh, of talking about the book or doing magic from the book. So right now, I am very very happy. There must also be a a level of um, uh, I don't think vindication is quite the right word, but um, definitely satisfaction because. You know, Vanishing Inc. has been in the publishing game for a long time, but this is uh, this is your baby, and you've waited all those years. And it's kind of like uh, I'm not suggesting you'll never publish another magic book, but it's kind of like you've hit that. And again, I don't want to commit you to anything here, but that's a kind of personal peak, right, in terms of the books. It really is. You know, after we've published over a hundred magic books, and wow. you know, we've said this a few times in in the in the marketing of the book, but it's because it's true is after every one of those books, I always had the conversation with the team of, you know, don't worry, uh, mine will be next. I'll, I'll work on mine mm-hmm. next. And then, you know, it's two days since the, the last book went to print. And then another project, you know, an author has finally finished the text on their project or the illustrator has completed the illustrations for a book that's been in, in a holding pattern for a while. And it just never happens. And yeah, I'm writing on a high because I just finally managed to give myself that opportunity to make that happen but you know yeah you say about like it might not be my last book who knows at this stage like in my head mm-hmm. i'm not thinking i now need to get another book out you know yeah. i don't mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what what tends to happen at this stage and i know it because of working with other authors is they the book has been well received and then they say well i have to start working on the second book yeah and that's that was, that that, was my next question <laughs> you beat me to it yeah and, and you know I think about bands with this, the second album syndrome. You know, when you have to rush out that second album, it's right. always not so good. Now, I'm lucky that I have a lot of material collected up over the years. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I could write a second book mm-hmm. that hopefully is just as, uh, you know, I'm going to say just as good. That's kind of arrogant, but hopefully you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> just as good as the, the first one. Uh, but I'm certainly not in a rush. Uh, let's, uh, yeah. Let's get this yeah. one out first, and maybe in five, ten years' time, maybe there'll be another. Mm. But who knows what life brings? I think, yeah. Right. Well, actually, this this probably isn't the case for you now that I say it, but because I think part of the process of publishing anything, uh, you know, whether it's a book or not, uh, any kind of creative project that you finally get out there, there's so much of it that's unknown before you do it. That once you do it, and it becomes a known, it's like, oh, that wasn't. It was hard, but you know, I did it, and it, it is possible. And they think, well. What stopped well, me from doing it again? Whereas you have that experience of publishing other people's work. So that was kind of already a factor, right? It wasn't like this was a uh, a new experience. It was just different, right? Exactly. And I've released tricks. And, you know, through Vanished Inc., we've released, like, literally hundreds of products. So, yeah, I didn't have that unknown in that respect. But you may have noticed with this release, we pushed ourselves more than we would normally push ourselves. And... Mm. That surprisingly didn't just come from me, but it came from our marketing team, uh, our videographers. Everybody felt almost a responsibility to 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 work on this book more than we might a normal project, and not for the reason that well, and is the boss, and is the owner of the company or co-owner of the company. Or at but least actually, that, they didn't tell you that that was the reason. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but if, if you met any of my team, you would know that they are so honest with me that it's unbelievable. If, in fact, sometimes in like a team meeting afterwards, my wife will say, "Are you the boss, or are they the boss?" <laughs> um, but we felt this opportunity that normally, when you work with a another author or a creator, you have to fit within their vision and their mindset. You know, their, uh, ultimately, their goal and their sign off 
is the most important thing. So we want them to, to be happy and proud of this project. But when it's my project, like it's a different story. We can be as creative as we want. And I encourage the team to, to come with as many ideas as they can so that nothing was off the table. So that actually this release, there was some unknown there. So we did a launch event, which we've never done before. Mm. And we've been doing all sorts of kind of fun social media things. And yeah, we have a lot small planned. Uh, and actually by having that unknown really helped. Like I had no idea how many people would turn up to the online live launch event. Maybe. How did it, how did it do? Um, I don't have the exact figures, but I was, so we had a goal of like, we said, well, maybe if like three or 400 people would come, but I know mm-hmm. it was way, way more than that. You know, it was mm-hmm. in the several thousand people were at the wow. launch event. Yeah. Cause you always see when, when people run online launches, right? There's this email that goes out saying, Oh no, we broke the server. Um, but it looks like we pulled through, blah, 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 kind of building up this social proof and fake exactly. hype. Whereas this was a sort of the reverse where you're like, no, it's, it's going to be fine. And then, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> did you got to handle this one? Yeah. So actually, yeah, the, the server did crash during yeah. oh, right. this live event. <laughs> um, it's hilarious because we always internally, we joke about that when, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we see that phrase so much. Oh no, you broke our website. Yeah. And we know, I mean, I, I work in IT, you know, I, yeah. I, I used to, and now free yeah. vanish Nick. I, I know about scaling websites and servers. It's pretty hard to break a website. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, uh, but somehow we, we fell on our own sword there and yeah, broke our <laughs> website. It's, it's almost, it's, it's like me, me and Benji talk about this a lot. It's, it's kind of strange. It's kind of because you're like, oh, well, if that happens, it'll be a nice problem to have. Right. It's kind of that weird thing where you're like, oh, well, like if that many people turn up, like that's great. Right. And because and, recently we had like, we ran this campaign and we were, uh, you know, not getting too deep, but we, were, we were just running it to like generate leads right and so we were like mm-hmm. well like we think like the max that we'll get out of this maybe i don't know i'm not going to use like real numbers but like we said maybe we'll generate this amount of leads right and we were like well we don't i guess we don't need to upgrade our servers then you know like but, but if we do that'll be a great problem or to email have. capacity yeah <laughs> or email capacity yeah and then we got a, a bunch more leads than we were expecting and then we had to like frantically rush and upgrade you know it's just it's one of those it's and then you realize it's things. yeah it's like no, you know what? I don't enjoy this problem. I thought yeah. I would, but I don't. I, I wish I did. Yeah. The problem is the problem. <laughs> There's no such problem as a nice problem to have, I'm yeah, finding. Right. Yeah. And in this case, yeah, I like we were doing this live stream event and I was having to, to fix the server in real time. And we'd already upgraded the server before the live event. Um, oh my gosh. But just, just because we're getting a little nerdy, the, the kind of more layman's version is uh, a web server where a website's hosted. You can expand the power of it it's like in real time you can just add more ram to your computer that Mm. kind of thing Uh, and we'd already done that uh and so now i was having to make that decision during a live event whilst talking to to the camera and trying to add it exactly is there there a certain i'm trying to think if there was a way i mean it's all in fast now it doesn't matter but if there was some kind of creative team member advantage and who was trying to find a way to spin that into a trick so like oh the server was down for approximately 27 minutes you pick the two of diamonds. You pick the seven of spades. It's kind of finale. <laughs> um, no, no. But what, what does happen is uh, when the website goes down, the whole system goes down. Uh, mm. So actually, we had a nice moment where the whole team, because everybody in the team relies on the system, mm-hmm. right. uh, everybody got to just stop what they were doing for a while and join us in the live event. And actually, that's yeah, that's a nice problem to have. That that was oh, nice. Oh, there that, we go. Already yeah, counted the drone precept. I know. I mean, if you make the rules, you can also break them. So it's fine. Uh, So, you know, that was nice to have all of my um, colleagues and friends together watching it. So that was fun. Mm. Right. Well, 
Andy, we've um, we've somehow accidentally stumbled onto the topic of IT, which is fine because that was actually what my next question was about. So I'm happy we got there. I'm preempting um, so, the stuff for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, Wait, but before we do that, years? Benji, mm-hmm. just I, I don't know if you're going to ask, but <laughs> we've talked a lot about like the release of the book and how the release has gone. Andy, do you want to talk a bit about <laughs> what's in the actual book because <laughs> like sounds like yeah sorry we should probably really well. we should probably talk about the book rather than web service yeah. for this uh, first little section that's my bad to jump in again <laughs> we can talk about whatever you like it's all good uh yeah so the book is called the boy who cried magic which is uh, a fun title i think for a collection of my card material so i've been performing professionally now for almost 11 years and that has seen me performing in all sorts of environments so from walk around magic and corporate events to parlor magic to stage magic and to magic for magicians so this book is kind of a collaboration of my best couple of routines for each of those environments so there's my full walk around set there's my parlor set that i do at the the magic castle and those kind of events where it's you know uh 30 40 people sat around watching magic and then I even have a couple of tricks that I do on stage as well. And it's all card magic. My repertoire isn't exclusive to card magic, but this is a card magic book. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a trick, for example, that you could do one-on-one for somebody. And there's a trick that you could do for 2,000 people with no projection in a theater. So it really does span the, the full repertoire. And hopefully because of that, there is something that every magician will be able to take a look at and enjoy. Great. And well, so uh, forgive me if you already said this, but how... How many years has that material been in the making? There is a trick in the book that I remember coming up with when I was about 14 years old, sat mm. in my bedroom in my parents' house. <laughs> Obviously, it's it's evolved over the years, but mm-hmm. that, has, uh, yeah, that trick has been with me for a long time. And, and you know what's wow. kind of embarrassing is that trick, I'm 37 now, so however many years that is, 23, it'll be, yeah. Uh, what's embarrassing is my best friend, Joshua J. that's his favorite trick of mine. And I created it when <laughs> I was a kid. So I, I guess it's all been downhill from here. Well, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> or you were a very more intelligent 14-year-old than I was, because I have to say, if I, if I tried to perform one of my uh, 14-year-old tricks with Benji, it probably wouldn't go quite as well. Uh, I, I have a question. The title, where does it come from? Because I'm interested. I mean, it's, it's a really engaging one. I mean, it makes you, it's one that you remember, right? You see it and you remember it. But what, what, what was the inspiration behind that? So while I was writing the book, I gave it the working title of Operandi, um, mm-hmm. meaning method, but uh, Operandi is about A-N-D-I at the end. And I always hated that title, and I knew that it couldn't <laughs> stay. But at the same time, I couldn't think of a better title. And yeah. uh, I guess one thing that uh, I don't really talk about much is Many of the Vanishing Ink projects are my titles. So Vanishing Ink was a, a name that I came up with all the way through to many other authors' books I, I gave the title to. So when it came to my own, I kind of ran out of ideas because I donated right. these titles to all the other people we'd worked with. And therefore, I was kind of out of ideas. And Josh and I happened to be, uh, Josh was on a lecture tour in the UK, and we happened to be driving late at night, like 2 a.m., back to my house, and it just struck me. How about the boy who cried magic? And I'll be honest, I can fit a couple of reasons in why that would fit, but right. ultimately, they're unimportant. <laughs> it's a fun title. It's, uh, it, it creates nice imagery, and, yeah, let's not try to think too much about what the meaning is because, if I'm honest, I didn't really intend specific mm-hmm. meaning for the title. I just thought it was a really cool title. 
It's one of those hard things. It's something that it's, it's, it's that strange part of the creative process that you don't think is really difficult intro, until you try and do it. Because uh, oftentimes me and me and Benji get really stuck up. Like you can get stuck for a long time. Like like you were saying, and it will just come at like two a.m. But and you go through the craziest times <laughs> in your head. Like, yeah, you yeah. might be about to say this, but I was saying when we were coming up with a with a name for this podcast. Um, I don't know if that's where you were going, Jake. But yeah. <laughs> so the name obviously right now is Off Slights of Men, which is decent, I think. Um, I like it. it has, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but some of the names we <laughs> some of the, some of the early names we came up with, I don't even know if I want to repeat them on this because they were so bad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I share your pain. For every every good name that I've had, there's been twenty bad names behind it, and mm. that's part of the fun. Justin Justin Hyam said to me once, and actually this really helped me. He was like, "There will be a time where the title comes when you need it most. The title will mm. come to you." That's true. I, we weren't talking about my book. We we're actually talking about Roger's Thesaurus, um, which is a, a book that he co-wrote. And I always had that in the back of my mind. When it's ready, the, the name will come. So right. I, I wasn't stressed about it. Uh, it's not one of those books where the title needs to lead the direction of the book anyway. So mm-hmm. it just, right. yeah, it came when time was right. And, you know, as soon as the name came, that's when things really start to fall into place. So Justin was right all along. Yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those weird pieces of advice. Well, not weird, but it's one of those pieces of advice that you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's true. And then... You almost like well, I don't. Know. I can find for me. So if I I can imagine someone telling me that and be like, oh yeah, I'm sure that will happen. And then like you're just still stressed about the title. Like at least for me, I know that would be that would be my response. I'd be like, oh yeah, I know it will come. You're right. You're right. Like you know, and then you get that moment of like, okay, I'm not stressed anymore. And then you're still brainstorming. You know, it's one of the, one of those bits of life that you have to kind of like live through to to like truly understand. I think. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I would have probably never released the book until I had the title. That was perfect. And trust me, I went through a lot of titles. So, uh, yeah, I'm lucky that I'm not in a rush about these things. Like, right. I just told myself the book will be ready when it's ready. And yeah, once the title and came, it that's when things start to move forward. Yeah. Right. How much of the. Um, how, how much would you say if you had to weight the book on a percentage basis is is pure kind of like okay this is this is pure andy or how much of it is like and again not that this is a, a bad thing because i think this is a present in everyone's work but what what are the kind of like influences that people might not so when they read it okay first glance it's like okay great but if you were to really dig into it so what, who are some of the kind of like influences behind the style and the type of work that you've been putting in this book and and let me know if i need to clarify the question if you understand no it's a really great question and it's one that's kind of difficult for me to answer uh, I, I'm inspired by so many people inside and outside of magic. And I always say that my friends inspire me more than anyone hmm. because when I'm working on a trick, I, I'll call one of my friends up or FaceTime and show it to them. And, and together we work on that. And, you know, one of my tricks may actually be the result of 10 different friends giving me input and ideas and, and us all working on it together. So, hmm. so really they're, they're my influences, but if I was, and it would be wrong to compare my magic to any particular creator, but I can tell you who I find myself inspired by and what parts I'm inspired by. Um, I always am inspired by Ed Marlowe and how mm. he could uh, develop a move and a technique to just the finest point. That was Marlowe's real ability. You know, people criticize Marlowe for weirdly for his body of work, but actually, if you really dig deep into what he's done and what he did in his lifetime, he was able to identify the best way of doing techniques, but often that meant publishing lots of different versions of mm. a technique. 
And does that kind of resonate with you as a programmer? Because often, and I'm I'm speaking as a complete amateur. Um, earlier this year, I started trying to learn a bit of programming because it's a skill I've always wanted to get better at. Um, and one of the like one of the really basic things, like one of the first things you learn is that there's no uh, there's not one way to solve a problem. And so maybe they'll give you a problem and then you'll write a hundred lines of code and you think, great, I solved the problem. And then along comes this expert, writes like four lines of code and just does accomplishes the same outcome with so much more efficiency. And so yeah. I don't know if that's like a subconscious thing or if you've ever thought about it that way because that kind of sounds like, to an, to an extent, what Marlowe does with some of this stuff yeah it's a great analogy and some of my other inspirations actually probably fall into that that better in fact so john bannon is somebody i really respect mm. and admire uh as is uh john gustafero another person mm. that I, I i find myself inspired by because those guys do have almost a yeah a programmer's or an engineer's view when they're constructing a trick there's no action wasted or mm-hmm. there's no going around the houses to get to the end result and that is something that comes from a programmer's mindset. I, I can't say that I was specifically influenced by some programming decisions I've mm-hmm. made, but yeah, you know, you're right about a programmer, an expert programmer knows two things that a novice programmer doesn't know in my mind. One is the right tools for the job. For example, uh, if you've just started out in programming, you may end up re- rewriting, reinventing the wheel uh, mm-hmm. with some code. You might write a hundred lines of code that I happen to know because I've been studying program for 20 years that actually, instead of doing that, you could just use this one word to replace mm. it. It's as simple <laughs> as that. Uh, and that happens a lot in magic. You know, I, I study magic a lot. I, I read magic books. I, I speak to magicians. I, I, I share magic with magicians. And because of that, uh, I like to think that my, my toolbox is, is full mm-hmm. and I'm constantly filling that toolbox with moves, slides, ideas, right. structures, presentational bits. And that's a great thing that just like a programmer, I can do by expanding my knowledge, I get to, to streamline a trick. Uh, and the other way is uh, in programming, uh, you really have to, so once you know the tools, you have to think really a lot about your structure of how you structure code. As crazy as this sounds, I can look at a piece of code and think, and I mean, I'm going to regret saying this, but <laughs> I, I can look at a piece of code and say, that's a beautiful piece of code. That's just, you know, they've mm-hmm. worried about every single detail. Mm-hmm. And right. remember, when I write code, nobody's ever going to see that. The code is actually mm. um, what's called yeah. compiled, Whoa. and so yeah, yeah, yeah. this is becoming a good metaphor. I like uh, that. But, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna regret making these metaphors because you can always shoehorn anything into a metaphor. But <laughs> um, uh, code is compiled, and, and what that means is the code I write is put into a computer and pushed together and rewritten by the computer or restructured, mm. uh, and nobody ever sees the code I write. Uh, and the same is uh, applies to a magic trick. The the method that I put into a trick, nobody actually sees the method. They only see mm-hmm. how it impacts the effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I put all that work into my code, just like I put all that work into my method. And, you know, since we're going for metaphors and analogies, the best way of explaining it is something Steve Jobs said once. In, in an interview, someone said to Steve, why do you spend all of the time, or not all of, sorry, why do you spend so much time working on the inside of a Mac mm. when nobody will ever see it. And he responded, well, I'll see it. Mm. And that's the same. It's the same with my code. I work on my code to make it as beautiful and elegant as I can because I'll see it. And it's the same with magic methods. I am, you know, I structure the methods as carefully as I can because I'm the one who sees it. And then in respect, the audience will feel it. Mm. I really like that. Mm-hmm. 
I think Steve Jobs' um, father was a, a craftsman, and I believe it was wood that he worked with, and that's where Steve... I might be completely making this up, but I'm, I'm sure it's that he kind of picked up the idea of craft, craftsmanship from the woodwork and his father would do, where all the pieces on the inside would be like the most... Like he would put the most time and love into carving them, even though nobody would see them. And then obviously he just translated that to the Mac. You know, something along that lines, but yeah. Yeah, you know what? Um, it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I, th- I like something that you said as well, going back. Um, you said at the start that, you know, you're constantly reading magic. You're constantly around magicians. You're constantly talking to them and developing new ideas. And that actually reminded me, I don't know if there's a, a famous copywriter called uh, Dan Kennedy. Um, and I recently listened to one of his, uh, one of his uh, seminars, or some of the training that he was giving. And he was talking about the importance of uh, constantly learning um, and how he was once asked a question by someone that was basically along the lines of like, um, like what three books are you reading right now? <laughs> you know, and like, and which one do you find like the most like instruction, like that's giving, that's helping you the most basically with what you're doing. And he okay. said it was interesting because the question showed like, not only is this guy reading three books at one time, right? <laughs> but also like, he was already the guy he's describing was already a very established businessman and he was constantly looking to learn. And, and I think it seems to be kind of a key component in any successful, you know, entrepreneur or artist that you have this kind of innate thing where you're constantly looking to build upon what you already have. And so what, how would you say that's kind of like, is that sort of the mindset that you have that you're constantly looking to learn and discover new things? Is that, is that influence your magic in a big way? The, I guess the obvious answer would be yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, humor me for a second when I say no, um, because I, I put more importance on improving and polishing the work that I already have than I do in creating a new trick. So I love creating tricks. So that's yeah, the, the real answer is yes, of course. I, I love learning and uh, learning from other people's tricks and working on new tricks. But I also have this responsibility to consistently improve my repertoire. So, so the answer is yes, uh, but the slightly contrarian answer is yes and no because actually I, I right. feel a much more of a responsibility to to improve my existing toolbox. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I guess in some ways I was trying to give you a smart answer there. But the the, the, the real no, no, truth, it's good. Uh, <laughs> the, the real truth of it is, yeah, of course I love learning. I love reading. I love uh, watching magic. I, just you know, I, I immerse my life in magic. You have to know about me that I get up in the morning and I am immediately working on magic through Vanishing Ink all through the day. I'm working on Vanishing Ink and then in the evening I will read a magic book to relax. You know, yeah. that's that's just the guy I am. So, yes, I'm always inputting new magic and, and new ideas into my mind. But at the same time, I feel this complete responsibility that uh, right. it's not the new stuff is is the the new stuff's not the most important stuff. Well, it's it's that's it kind of falls into like another like entrepreneurship principle, really, isn't it? That if you split your focus too far, right? If you're constantly trying to work on different projects, and the one project that you should be working on will never get anywhere, and you'll kind of move, um, you know, you won't move as far as you want to. Uh, and, and talking of entrepreneurship and, and business, because we, we wanted to get into that, because both both Benji and I are actually are equally as invested in in business and entrepreneurships and those sort of principles as, as we are in, in magic um i think we've heard you talk about um gary v in the past as or i don't know how to say so properly his full name but gary, gary vaynerchuk there you go uh, gary v gary vaynerchuk same guy um <laughs> uh, we heard that he he's one of your mentors and me and benji i mean 
especially to, to young entrepreneurs because we're both we're both really young. He's he's kind of like the the idol for a lot of us. Um, so I, I, I was interested. Obviously, I'm sure you've learned a lot uh, business wise about how Gary Vee you know lives and how he runs his business. But how has that translated into your magic? Like, have you ever like heard like a Gary Vee principle and been like, oh, like I can make a routine around that, or like has it translated into how you practice? Or yeah, that that's basically the question. How's Gary Vee influenced you? Not just you know business wise, but also just like, you know, magic wise. It's really interesting. Yeah. So, so Gary Vaynerchuk is a, um, an entrepreneur, like you guys say, and he, he started by working his parents wine shop and, uh, it's now one of, I guess the, the most famous, um, marketers and motivational speakers, uh, is what he's kind of transitioned into. And I first became aware of him with his book, Crush It. Uh, he's recently mm-hmm. re-released Crush It, but Crush It, the, when I first read it, was maybe 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, before he really even had podcasts, before he was kind of famous. What I'm saying is, uh, yeah, I knew the cool guy before the cool guy yeah, was yeah. cool. You were one of the yeah. early ones. Yeah. I was one of the early fans. Um, but yeah. He pays in this case as well. I don't want to interrupt. But like, in some cases, if you're like early fans of a musician, a musician, it's kind of like, oh, cool, you get to listen to their music for two years. But when it's like a, a guy like Gary Vee, being that far ahead of the curve, like the amount of a uh, compound effect of him, uh, applying those principles for like another five years on top of everyone else. It's so true. It yeah. And uh, I think about that kind of thing a lot, actually, um, about timing when we launch something, you know, if we, if only we'd have launched that a year ago, we would have actually been mm-hmm. a, yeah, much further ahead. But anyway, yeah, back to Gary V. Um, so, so Gary V's whole shtick, if you like, is that he, he takes no shit and he just pushes and goes for it and he works hard. And this yeah. pretty much the whole philosophy of, of, of crush it is you work hard and you get it done. You don't spend all the time talking about doing it. You don't spend time uh, telling people what you want to do. You just get out of there and you do it. And I've always had that philosophy. Uh, I, I can't think of anything in magic that I've applied to it, but in certainly work ethic and energy uh, I definitely have. And actually, I always think about my, my ideal lecture. I, I give a lot of lectures um, mm. for magic clubs, conventions. My ideal lecture would actually be a Gary Vaynerchuk style lecture. What he does is he's the keynote speaker at you know, very large events, much bigger than what I, I lecture at. And he just turns up. He talks about whatever's on his mind for 30 minutes or so. And then the rest is a Q&A. And I would love to have that in a magic <laughs> Sounds environment. Sounds pretty great, yeah. Uh, whether it's me or or any other magician, um, I mean, it would be probably, there's a lot of magicians I think would do a much better job than this, but I would just love to see a lecture where the lecturer just goes, you know, let's talk about whatever you guys want to talk about, or how can I help you with a routine, or how can we put together something that you're trying to work on? Um, that, to me, would be the perfect way to, to present a lecture for a magic club, because now it's customized and it's personal, and everybody gets something out of it. So, He's been an inspiration in that way of thinking about how could I apply those kind of styles to, to magic. I really like that. And, and I, I think it's a really, I love what you say as well, because it is really important that, um, I don't know, magic conventions or just like magic teaching in general, that um, at least I find, I think it is, I'm <laughs> not speaking for you, uh, but I think it's important that, you know, we try and like think differently when we're in these environments, right? That we're not, at least I think it's important that we're not just kind of, you know, uh, okay, let's go back to like what we've done every other magic convention. Let's talk about these effects or like, let's recycle these effects. But I love what you're saying. Cause it, it is cool to just be like, okay, you know what? Like 
someone will throw out an idea, like let's like use this space, right, to make that better or to deepen on it, and like let's use this expert, whether it be you or whatever amazing magician you have on stage, let's use them combined with you know this kind of room of magicians, this room of minds to to kind of expand upon what we have. And I, I like that idea; it's it's really important. Um, so yeah, I think I think. I've talked enough, Benji. Do you, have, do you have a question? No, I mean, I was, uh, not really a question. I was just going to sort of, um, uh, I don't know if clarifies the word either, but the whole sort of uh, the angle we're attacking with this question, um, Andy, is that part of what defines the way we look at magic um, is this kind of weird, weird relationship we have with magic where we generally get most of our inspiration um, and... Uh, I don't know, actionable insights on, on improving our magic by studying everything except from magic, you know? And so we talked about programming a little bit earlier. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether it's business, uh, you're writing, uh, you know, 10K running, principles you pick up from other sort of industries and hobbies and, and translating that back into magic. And that's um, because there's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. Again, when, sometimes when I say his name, I don't know how famous he is. Because for me, he's famous, but I don't know if he's, he's like famous, famous. But there's a guy called Ray Dalio, who's a, kind of like a legendary investor. And he has a book called Principles. And in this book, he talks about how sort of the more knowledge you acquire uh, over a diversified number of topics, the more you zoom out and see that the nature of the problems faced in each industry are similar in type, if not in content. And so the more skill you have over different um, interests and, and hobbies and uh, ways of life and ways of being rather than just magic, the more ways you can look at problems within magic with a perspective that nobody else in magic has. And, and obviously if you're doing, if you're attacking everything in magic using the same principles as everyone else in magic, the the differential is only ever going to be linear. Whereas when you can work in sort of outside ideas, it kind of invalidates the competition just by nature of the fact that nobody else is doing it. And so I'm sorry if that was a little bit esoteric, but I wonder if you have any insights on that or, or if that's because yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, take it away. Don't let me talk for too long. So first of all, I'm going to make a prediction that you guys are Tim Ferriss fans. Am I right? Yes. Well, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. my voice. <laughs> um, you can um, say no. I, I just um, taking. No, no, no. I'm just surprised because that was actually one of the later questions. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I'm sorry. I haven't seen your your transcript already. Um, but yeah, the reason I, I suggest that is because several of these people that you mentioned were on Tim Ferriss's podcast, uh, and um, Tim Ferriss almost is the, the the human embodiment of all the things that that you guys seem to be interested in, which is really great because I am also. Uh, Tim Ferriss fan. Uh, and something you might not know is that uh, the whole business structure of Vanishing Inc. back in the very, very early days was inspired mm. by Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, mm. right. uh, which I read that book and that just that just sent my mind going crazy. And mm. that's how Vanishing Inc. started to form. But yeah, um, back to magic. I, I often refer to a uh, Darren Brown quote that, that mm. Josh actually pointed out to me and I, I quoted it in, I think it was the Thomas Blomberg book I wrote. Thomas Blomberg is an amateur magician, uh, but an absolute genius in uh, a certain very specific area of computer programming. Mm. Uh, and Darren Brown wrote this really interesting sentence and it was simply this, the best magicians have one foot in magic 
and one foot in something else, mm. uh, or one wow. foot firmly firmly planted in I'm something write else. Write that one down. Yeah, it's great. The the best magicians have one foot in magic and one foot firmly planted in something else. What a great way of illustrating what's been on my mind for years, and it's simply that the the best magicians have interests in other ways outside of magic. And I think mm. we see that. We definitely see that in Darren, for example. Mm. But we see it in all sorts of the most interesting and fascinating magicians. And ultimately, that's kind of what I want a magician to be, is fascinating. Um, so, so yeah, I take inspiration from all areas of, of my life. Um, that doesn't mean I'm taking inspiration and putting it into a magic trick at all times. Mm. But, for example, I, I collect stories. I, I love to hear these these really interesting stories that you might pick up in a, a TED talk or mm. uh, a stand-up comedian talk about. And just, you know, at the right time, just like a book title, at the right time, those stories will, will appear right. to me and they will help with a trick or an idea I'm working on. Man, I really, I, I really love that. Yeah, and, and I don't. So obviously, uh, well, I'm gonna be up. me. Me and Benji are pretty young, so like, as far as like getting into this world, you know, entrepreneurship. It's not like we've been doing it for about two years, three years, but you know, we're we're fresh and we're excited about <laughs> ideas, and you know, we we're we're definitely new and and happy to be so. Um, so as someone. And I, I'll be careful how I word this, Andy. You can say I'm old. It's fine. I'm no, no. 37. I'm going to take it. Come on, say it. It'll make you feel no. better. As someone how- that has more experience, there we go. As someone that has more experience in both the entrepreneurship world and the magic world, how would you say, because, you know, how would you say you keep that mindset, right? And how did you, first of all, how did you get that mindset? Like, of, yeah, I of mean, how do you not get complacent? Right. Yeah. When you're in the position you're in now, right? But, but but stay innovative. How do you stay innovative when you're on top? And and I don't. Want, I'm not. I'm putting the pressure on you to to answer that because I know it's a problem uh, that's been grappled with for so many clever people for so many years. I don't know if there is a solution. But what's your take on it? How old are you guys? Uh, I'm twenty. I'm twenty-one. Just wanted to know what I was dealing with. Okay. Seventeen years. Coming it down now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have to concentrate in school. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, yeah, I have what I think is the perfect answer because it's the truthful answer, which is to bring on people who are younger and more energetic than me. And uh, that's not me being in any way defeatist. It's it's the truth that Vanish and Inc. would not be thriving as much as it is right now if it wasn't for the fact that we have a really young, dynamic, and energetic team. So... Uh, many of the mentioning team members are younger than Josh and I, uh, and I'm really aging myself as I'm saying these things, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. I'm kind of investing in the future here that I know I'm not going to be able to attend every magic convention as I start to get a little older. I know that I'm not going to be able to, to fly out to the warehouse in America and, and pull 18, 19 hour shifts when, when we need it most or, you know, right. these things. So, um, I know that I'm not going to be able to stay up like oh, I'm really age. What am I talking it's about? Okay, it's okay. Uh, but but <laughs> I, I guess I'm just going to get hot chocolate and forget about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess what I'm saying is uh, I, I surround myself by people with the same energy and focus as me. And right. uh, that, that really does, does help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very lucky that I, for some reason, have developed a, a laser sharp focus. So a lot mm. of people that I work with, and remember, I, I'm lucky that I work with so many magicians, mm. all of my magic heroes. It's just, it's an amazing opportunity. 
But I, I notice common trends from them. Uh, I notice that there are magicians who want to talk about starting a project or doing a project. And there are magicians who would rather spend time talking about that project than they would actually doing that project. Uh, there are magicians who have big aspirations, but they just don't know how they want to achieve them. You know, one of my bugbears is to see people post something on Facebook. I'm going to write a magic book. What do you mm. guys want to hear about? No, tell me what you want to tell me about. It's a, it's a much yeah. better thing. Uh, that's that's a big weakness. The old I, Henry Ford, you know. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't. The they wanted, it would have been a faster horse. Exactly, yes. Um, and uh, those are common things. I, um, I, I work with a lot of people who are just always interested in starting new projects and not finishing projects. Luke mm-hmm. Jamaica calls them project junkies, and it's the, it's the perfect... <laughs> way of describing it. Mm-hmm. So I see all these weaknesses. And in many ways, that, that really helps me because when I'm getting frustrated with one of my favorite magicians, because he just keeps calling me up and telling me uh, why he can't work on this project. And, you know, it t- has taken longer than he actually would have just done if he'd have done the project. Um, I see those things, I get frustrated. And I just tell myself, don't be that guy. And that's that's what happens, basically. Mm. I have developed a, a laser-sharp focus because I, I see the mistakes that people make, and I make sure that I don't make those mistakes. And I'm an old man, so we'll have that in as well. Have you, um, <laughs> are you familiar with um, Cal Newport's work? No, I'm not. So the book, um, you might, might know the name of the book, if not the author. So Deep Work is the name of the book. No, not familiar with it. Well... I would first suggest that you can uh, send me your address and I'll get that shipped to you um, as a daily magician uh, holiday treat. Because I think that book is a very, uh, what's the word for it? Maybe Jacob can help me out because he read this one recently. But it talks about a few things. Um, And one of the things it talks about is this, uh, and I may get the technical name for it wrong, but attention deficit. So, you know, when you have um, several tasks ongoing, how it's not just like a subjective uh, phenomenon, but it's like a, objective kind of studied phenomena phenomena that when you have so many tasks open uh, you're devoting attention to this one you switch to another one and there's like a deficit where across the board it suffers it's yeah it's not yeah drag drag that's a good so it's not like it's a hundred percent divided up 10 tasks give you 10 percent each it's like a hundred percent divided across 10 tasks give you like four percent each and so Mm -hmm. the rest just gets kind of lost in the abyss and so like for example one practice we have at the moment is um every morning i well i'll speak for myself but maybe jake can chime in so i i work for mm-hmm. five hours without so i don't check email until 2 p.m in the afternoon um and i just work for those five hours from from 7 a.m till, till 12 and that's not and i don't say that because oh i'm, I'm so good and i'm so focused it's really the opposite is that once i check my email I'm all over the place, you know, I'm, I'm lost. Like, I'm, I'm just like, uh, that's it. That's me for the day. I'm just answering this customer, doing this here, getting distracted here, this YouTube video here. So it's like, it's like the Oscar Wilde quote where it's, um, uh, the only thing, uh, I can resist is temptation itself. I think it's like that, something like that, where mm-hmm. the whole point is just don't put yourself in that situation where you can get distracted. Um, and that's kind of the secret. You don't need to have really strong willpower. You just sort of environment right. engineering. Yeah, and both of those things are things I picked up on from Tim Ferriss's book, Four Hour Work Week. Exactly mm. that of you know, take the uh, what's he call it, like the email diet or something like that. The low information diet. Low information diet. There we go. Uh, and also the idea of batching tasks, right? So that you're not mm. just doing little bits of a task here and a little bits there. And yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I found those things really useful. I, uh, I 
I speak often to magicians about like, yeah, you know, just to try and cut back on your inbox. Truth is, I am a slave to my inbox and notifications. <laughs> I, we, we use Slack internally, awesome. and, and, and um, you know, there's um, there's a team that that constantly need my attention, and my Slack is going off twenty four seven. At any point, if I just take ten minutes away, there'll be twenty thirty messages there, and my inbox yeah. is you know at any point. You know, I tend to send about a hundred emails a day. Uh, and uh, and I, I often when I hear people say that I think no you don't but I looked at my stats yeah. I send about a hundred emails a day yeah. um, and so I have to be a slave to my inbox because there are you know team members relying on me to to mm-hmm. get back to them or there are bookers you know when, um, when I'm doing gigs when I'm not in the pandemic mm-hmm. I find that when I email somebody and they take four days to reply that person for me feels like they're disinterested in me. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm dealing with, with bookers or, or anyone like that, I need to reply immediately because I, I mm-hmm. want them to learn how I like to be treated. So right. uh, that's why, you know, the team reply to me very quickly because that's how I like to be treated. Mm-hmm. And also we just get far more done that way. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I just Googled as I was talking the, the book you mentioned, Deep mm. Work. Uh, there's a, yeah, the, the subtitle is, uh, no, sorry, he wrote another book. Cal Newport wrote another book mm-hmm. that is a um, Steve Martin quote that I love. Be so good, they can't ignore you. It's, uh, mm. right. yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one, actually. Uh, I'll um, check it out. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, actually, I was forgetting where I was going. Oh, yeah, I was just going to clarify, actually. <laughs> obviously, um, you're a, uh, obviously, I don't know the, the technical. Uh, you're the big man. You're the big boss at the company. It's a big company, so I don't obviously expect you not to be checking your email for five hours in one. I wish one I could. Sort of, <laughs> the one, the one workaround that I have developed is that, like for example, customers. I don't want to leave them hanging for for a while, so I have like a, you know how Chrome like remembers the email thread you've opened the most. I think, funnily enough, it's one with like Pit Hartling, and so I just type in like Pit Hartling in my in my browser. It takes me straight to that thread, and then I can search in Gmail. So I can search like the customer's name or whatever. And it will just filter to that specific email so I don't get distracted by the rest. So I will admit I kind of bend the rules a little bit. But um, I'm mostly jealous that you email Pitt Hartling the most. He's one of my favorite magicians. He's so good. Well, it's, it's I, okay, I shouldn't. Um, maybe I'll leave it there. I was going to say, it's more like I've opened that email chain so much that it, sure. it's like a saved one, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Still he's, jealous. He's such a good He's such a good guy. It was, it was funny actually. We had um, when Moritz Muller, who's obviously another um, German magician. It, it, he actually told us a really cool story. Um, how he like basically like managed to ended up with like Pitt Harling's number and like called him up and was like super nervous. And then you know just like Pitt Harling was like, you know, like why don't you just like get on the train, like come stay on my sofa for a few days. We'll talk about magic together. <laughs> I thought that was such a cool story. It just shows He's that the coolest guy. Yeah, how nice of a guy he is, right? But yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Man. The um, the question that's been on my mind for a minute that I want to get before I forget, because it links back to something you said earlier when when we asked you about innovation, you talked really about like um, uh, the key was just having people around who are a bit younger than you. Um, to paraphrase. And so the question I'd I'd kind of wanted to go with at this point was, um, what percentage of your success at Vanishing Inc. would you say comes from the what and, and what percentage comes from the who? Because uh, I've recently been reading, um, uh, maybe you know who Paul Graham is. Mm-hmm. He has a blog um, and, and one of his, well, a lot of his work really is about creating startups. And the most sort of number one, most important factor that seems to be a consistent thread throughout all of it is the the co-founder. And so often he would be talking about how 
you know, finding the right co-founder is more important than developing a good product to begin with. And so, yeah, just going back to my original question, uh, for you with Josh and, and later with all the other people you've hired, what percentage of the success has come from the actions and the what that you've, you've taken and, and what percentage has just come from the, the nature of the who? Now, you'll be able to clarify this, but Paul Graham is a guy who uh, set up this founding, uh, this this group founding other companies, right? Did he work mm. for Yahoo? Am I, am I thinking of the right guy? Yeah, Y Combinator is his. There we go, Y Combinator. That's the, that's the um, group I was looking for. Yeah, so, so Paul Graham knows what he's talking about way, way more than me. And, and definitely, mm. I would listen to him more than me. But something that I find I hear a lot is don't work with your best friend or don't work mm. with your friend, don't work with family. Um, mm. But you know what? I have had the best experience ever working with my best friend. Um, Josh and I have a... Uh, Sorry um, to touch on you, but uh, for a second, me and Benji were sitting back in our seat because we were like, oh, free. Because we're cousins, right? <laughs> and like okay. best friends. So I was like, oh, free. Like, <laughs> you about to nail us. And do you work well together? We do. Uh, yeah. We'll let our listeners be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... There's there's something that's um, uh, really important, and I actually heard um, Charlie Munger say it, um, mm. who is uh, Warren Buffett's business partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that the reason the two of them work so well together is that they have shared visions but complementary skill sets, mm. and that's that's Josh and I. We we have the exactly the same visions of of what we think magic should be, where we think the magic world should be, and you know that the magic. And by that, by magic word, I mean like all magicians, like what kind of magic we should be performing, all that kind of stuff. We, we, we share those same visions, but our skill sets are completely opposite. And that allows us to work well together. So, for example, uh, as we've talked about, I'm a programmer. Uh, mm-hmm. Josh is not a programmer. Josh is a fantastic writer. Uh, I have some kind of graphic design skills. Josh doesn't. But Josh knows some of the best magicians in the world. So, you know, we have all of these different puzzle pieces that just so happens when you put the puzzle together, half of them are mine and half of them are his. And it just, it works perfectly for us. Mm. So we will always encourage people to, to work with their friends so long as that they, you know, they learn how to work together properly. And we're really lucky. We've never had a fight or an argument or anything like that in the 11 years mm. that we've worked. There's, you know, there's been disagreements, but they've mm. never turned into anything other than a conversation mm-hmm. that has been solved. Mm-hmm. And we have techniques for that. So we have kind of keywords that we've just naturally developed. We, we never sat down and said, if mm-hmm. I say this, it means that. But right. we've just found, you know, if, if I say to Josh, this one's really important to me, he immediately would just back mm-hmm. off and go, okay, well, that's, you know, let's do it. And, and we just know that that's how we work well together. So to me, I couldn't have done this without my co-founder. And I, I think it's fair to say he couldn't have done this without his co-founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's especially pleasing for me because Josh, when we started this, was a very established, well-known magician. And I remember having conversations with with people saying, well, he doesn't need you to launch this company. And uh, I'm sure he had conversations with other people going, well, Andy's an IT guy. He doesn't need you. And actually, mm-hmm. it turns out we very much needed each other and because of that, I think we've built something that that we're both really proud of. I really like that. I, I'm actually interested because, um, so like, how did it start? You know, like, what was like the first conversation? You know, like, because uh, I mean, as Benji and I was kind of, it's interesting how it evolves, right? Because when you first start, you have so little 
idea of kind of what you're getting yourself in into, right? Well, at least we did. <laughs> as far as like, oh, like this will be fun, and like, oh, that'll be great. And then you know, as experience grows, you're like, oh wow, like what were we doing there? Or like, oh wow, like what were we expecting to happen with that? Or you know, like wow, we we actually were able to succeed there when maybe when we shouldn't have, you know? So kind of how what what was the first conversation about banishing ink, and how did it kind of like come to be, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's actually that conversation we refer to a lot when we talk with the team uh, and we call it our core values because Mm. it's what we wanted right from the start of the company. And it's, you know, it's kind of an elevator pitch, but it was never designed as that. It's Mm. just what we were talking about and what we wanted, which was we wanted to develop a magic shop that felt like an old style brick and mortar magic shop. Uh, And by that, I mean, you know, a magic shop where you could walk in, you go, what's good? And the guy will Mm. go. Uh, oh, sorry, they normally say, like, what's new? And the guy will go, no, I want to tell you what's good. You know, that kind of thing. That's what we want. That feel of you, you can ask the guy behind the counter anything, and he will tell you the truth about the releases. Uh, but at the same time, we wanted to rely on modern technology. You know, back when we started, and again, I'm feeling old, and it's your fault, you, you guys' fault. Uh, <laughs> right. When we started, uh, downloads weren't a thing. So, you know, we were already talking about that. What if actually instead of doing D- DVDs, we could actually let people download their products. That wasn't a thing. We had to retrain the market to be aware of magic downloads. Um, So we wanted to combine that. So that's our core values of Mm -hmm. combining old style brick and mortar uh, magic shops with new technology and modern current technology. Actually, um, speaking of your kind of origins, um, correct me if I get the date slightly wrong, but it was around 2009, 2010, right? Yeah, I think it was. And, And so you were starting this kind of right, on the uh in the aftermath of the financial crash mm-hmm. was that it's actually kind of funny because well i don't want to say funny that's definitely not the right word but when we also the dean magician has been a site that i ran for a few years and it had just been like an amazon affiliate site for a while um so it had kind of like a, a bit of a trust and it was established as a site but it was never really a business until earlier this year and so it's kind of interesting that we you guys started vanishing in the aftermath of a recession we've um you know it's still pretty early days in terms of the the, the project we've been doing and i don't want to call it a recession but also i don't want to get into all the technical side of it so let's just say it's not great economically mm-hmm. um do you have any and, and this is purely a, a selfish motive do you have any advice for magicians who have companies that are starting during a sort of turbulent economy from the lessons you learned in 2009 well, just the fact that you're aware of that situation tells me that you're going to make this through through this just fine. Um, but yeah, we still talk about the the recession. Like it didn't hit us because yeah, we were forming during the recession. But we always say, you know, if we could make it through the recession, we can make it through mm-hmm. anything, and right. that's the case. And yeah, I, I have two pieces of advice. One is is prepare at all times. You know, we are that we had a, a call with our team a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. that was basically, Hey guys, something's coming. We don't know what it is. We don't know whether we're right, but we feel that something's coming. Where can we make savings? And, Mm. you know, one team member had a $35 a month subscription that we didn't need anymore. Uh, Another Mm -hmm. one had, you know, a $2 a month thing that he Mm. was paying out for the company. Didn't need it. It went literally. We, we would look at everything like that because we feel such a responsibility, you know, when this thing hits, if it hits and I'm sure it will, we have a responsibility to keep our team in place, right? We, uh, we don't want to lose any jobs. We've been through COVID without losing jobs. And 
whatever happens next, we're going to try our hardest to make sure that that happens now as well, because our team have been with us for so long. So yeah, the first thing is prepare for everything, every situation. And the second thing is um, always be agile. You know, I talk about this a lot, agility, both for business and magic, being able to switch to any situation as quickly as you can. Pivoting. Uh, pivoting. Have a look at Vanishing Inc. over the last year and mm-hmm. how we've we've really exactly. <laughs> refocused. It's, mm-hmm. it's been so important to us. Um, you know, we our Masterclass Live series is a mm-hmm. live lecture platform in the COVID era, and, and we've mm-hmm. managed to do that while other um, other magic shops are, are struggling to produce content. Mm-hmm. We're producing more content content than ever before because, um, mm-hmm. because of did I say Share Magic Live? I meant Masterclass Live. Uh, but Share Magic Live is the other event mm-hmm. that we did. We did an online convention because mm-hmm. normally we do conventions, but we, we right. couldn't do it. So we did an online convention. We got 35,000 magicians there, which to me just blows wow. my mind. That's, oh, no. that's crazy. <laughs> Crash the server again. Uh, yeah, luckily, that was going through YouTube, so we were okay. Oh, okay. Uh, they could handle that. Um, <laughs> we couldn't. So, yeah, they're the two takeaways for me, at least. And look. Mm-hmm. You guys are, are being very kind, but yeah, don't ever think I'm some kind of expert at this. I'm yeah, <laughs> just I'm finding my way as I go, uh, but be prepared for anything and uh, be agile. It's mm. uh, the best advice I can give. And maybe one uh, quick follow-up. In terms of the, um, let's call it discretionary spending, and, and what, what what did you notice about, and maybe it was too, you know, in, in, in such early days as when you started Vanishing, there was no... Um, it's not like you had prior sales records to see the, you know, the differences. So who knows if that's just that the buying habits were what they were because you were a new company versus it being a recession. But what did you notice? Like uh, a lot of people just stopped buying magic or did they transition to buying cheaper magic or, or did you even look at it on that granular level? Cause I'm, I've yeah. no idea. Yeah. Um, I don't think we really looked at it like that back then. Uh, back mm. then, any sale we got, we were happy and grateful. Right, right. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, um, th- this gives you an idea of how much, I mean, we wanted Vanishing to work, but we really mm. did. But this gives you an idea of how much we didn't really expect it to work. That uh, We launched the site. Next day, I went on vacation with my friends. We all went uh, skiing in, the, mm. uh, in Austria. Uh, I was essentially out of contact for mm-hmm. you know, for a few days because I was just in some Austrian ski lodge. Uh, just for those who are listening, thinking I can't imagine Andy skiing. <laughs> you're right. I was awful. I don't, I've never done it since. Uh, but um, uh, Josh called me a couple of days in. It was like, hey, um, the site's going crazy. We're getting orders. Uh, I don't know what to do. And I had to fly home from that trip <laughs> because this thing had launched and we didn't expect it to become a thing. Yeah. And very quickly, it was it was getting traction. Now, of course, maybe another one of those nice problems. It, there we go. Yeah, maybe there is such a thing, except for the fact I missed the vacation. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but I would rather be where I am right now than mm-hmm. where I was back then. So you know, skiing. I was a terrible skiing. <laughs> um, so so yeah, we didn't expect it to become what it's become by any means. And and truly, every week we have the conversation of like pinching ourselves at uh, at, at what Vanishing has become. And by that, I, I'm not even thinking about the the number of sales or mm-hmm. the number of customers i'm thinking about the fact that there are magicians all over the world who entrust us with uh their their products their ideas mm-hmm. their magic and there are magicians all over the world who mm-hmm. entrust us by buying that magic mm-hmm. so that's what we want you know vanishing is an amazing vehicle to allow us to achieve our personal goals which almost right. always 
uh, are shared with other magicians around mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. I was gonna, um, well, I was gonna, what I was gonna say is that obviously, I think both of us know. Um, so you're in England right now, and I think mm-hmm. you live here. So I live in England. Um, Jacob lives in America right now, but he is from England. Cool. And so there's this thing where, at least for our customers, I'm going to assume it's it's much the same for you because I'm assuming we're kind of like a microcosm on a very small scale <laughs> of Vanishing Ink, um, which may or may not be true. Most of our customers are from America. Most magicians are in America. When I've worked, um, so in the past I worked with um, Aaron Fisher and, and co at Conjure Community, and, and they're an American-based business. Yeah. And so... Almost everything in my life was dictated by the American hours. Even now, to an extent, even though we're, we're kind of equal. Yeah, my bad. That. <laughs> well, you know, it's whatever. It is what it is. Um, does that happen to you as well? Because if you're in England right now, but most of the customers are in America, most of, I'm not going to say most of the employees, I don't know what the split is, but like, I'm assuming a good number of your employees are in America. Uh, I'm assuming Josh is in America a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel kind of like, like I feel sometimes like America just has this like, you know, it dictates my waking hours sometimes, although I'm working on it. Uh, where about are you, Jacob, in America? Uh, I'm in New Jersey, like right oh, on the outskirts of New York. So, yeah. So you're five hours behind. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not too bad. It, it could be worse. It was in Utah it... before, and that was harder. Oh, yeah. A lot harder. Yeah. Isn't it great, though, uh, where there's that four hour time difference? There's like oh, a, dude, a two weeks a year. Out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was that was, trick? we, had we that were like, oh, I've got so much time. And then it just yeah. goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an awkward time, the, the time zone thing. Um, so I, I spent some time in, in Las Vegas for a few months, uh, specifically kind of forced time away from work, mm-hmm. kind of to, to bring it back to the last question. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got the other side of it where actually I wake up and you know, half the company have, have done their thing uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for the day. So I wake up to, you know, all, all these like hundreds of Slack messages and emails of stuff that people are working mm-hmm. on. And in some ways I felt like I was slowing the team down because mm-hmm. of that. Because, yeah, we kind of structured the company with the, the people that I work with day to day are in the UK and the people that Josh work with day to day are in the US. So right. it kind of works mm, well. That makes sense. Uh, it, it used to be that Josh, I don't think I'm kind of giving too much away here. It used to be that Josh would stay in bed pretty late um, in his time. So actually, we wouldn't really connect until the evening, mm-hmm. my time. But nowadays, he's up much earlier. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. he's getting old. That's what happens. Um, so, um, yeah. So now, actually, it's it's sometimes not even that noticeable, to be mm-hmm. honest, the time difference. We've, we've lived this thing for 11 years. And, yeah, uh, there's, like I say, there's always somebody working at Vanishing Inc. So I've always got somebody to bounce ideas off or whatever. But... The people I work with day to day tend to tend to be in the mm. UK. That makes sense, actually. Didn't think about that. Um, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Talking of uh, kind of managing time and all that stuff, and you know, being nice to you, um, trying to you know get back to that. Uh, you can try. Know, we we delved into some some hard subjects to come back from, but uh, we'll do our best. Um, I think, um, like honestly, like like we were like wow, like. Because we reached out to you cold, right, on Instagram. You didn't know who we were. Like, and that's fine. <laughs> I, I'm not. <laughs> I didn't expect you to. Um, and so we, I, it was kind of like when you responded, both of us were like, "Whoa!" Like, Danny Gladwin just like respond to our message. Like, that's nice of him, <laughs> you know. And then when you were like, Especially okay, with those well, hundred Slack messages in the back of your mind, right? Yeah. And then when you were like, "Yeah, sure, let's do the podcast this week," we were like, "Wow, okay, like that's great." So like, I'm gonna say like, I mean, I know I, I've heard you say before. I think it was on Discourse on Magic. Um, that um that you you consider vanishing and I don't know if that's changed since then like a medium sized company but I think still in in the magic world at least by 
in, in my opinion, it's you know it's definitely one of the big dogs, if not the big dog in the magic industry. Um, so, like, how do you stay like down to earth, right? Like, how do you find time for like stuff like this? Well, you know, where there's two like young guys that want to bring you on the podcast, how do you stay grounded? <laughs> um, I I do it by genuinely not believing a thing you just said is the, the <laughs> truth of it. Like, I, I, I don't. Like, if you're impressed that I replied to a message, I mean, I'm truly honored, like, like, kind of blushing honored, but I, I, I know the school, you know, I, I know who I am. I, I'm not in any way, a, you know, a, a famous magician or a respect, you know, I don't know, like, I don't want to, now, now it just sounds like a kind of false modesty or whatever, but like, <laughs> Maybe I know this, after this book gets a bit of circulation. Maybe so. <laughs> Bringing it back to the... Uh... Uh, yeah, I know the situation. You know, my, my, my goal very much is to give back to magic. So when you guys said, would you come on? Like, of course I'll come on. And I've had so much fun. I'm glad. Uh, I, I hope we can continue to stay in touch after this. Like, clearly we have a lot of common interests. Definitely. Um, but, you know, even if this wasn't the, the biggest podcast in magic, maybe one day it will be. You know, maybe mm. that's going to help me. Maybe people will listen back and go... Well, this is the biggest podcast of magic, and this this guy Andy Gladwin was on. We should look into him. So you know, maybe there's maybe there's benefit for me there. Doesn't matter. The fact that I get to talk about magic for a job, I'm always going to do it. And yeah, if I can help out people along the way, great. If not, at least we've had a nice chat. Hmm. <laughs> I love yeah, that we have. And I don't want to um, feel free to cut and and interrupt me, Jacob, if you want. Um, I don't want to sour. I guess that's not the right word. I don't want to bring the conversation back down to, to negativity, but I actually do have a question that I've been uh, dying to ask you this whole time. Um, I'm currently reading a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by um, Ben Horowitz, uh, the, the partner in Andreessen Horowitz. And it's kind of an unusual business book in, in, the, in the sense of it's all about how um, no matter what industry you're in, you know, what skill set you have, what kind of business you run, how you do your marketing, what kind of customers you have. There's always one thing that's for certain, which is that you're going to get like smashed with challenges and problems and issues to the point that most same people would just quit and give up. So I'm not even going to ask if that's been true for Vanish. I'm just going to kind of skip to the follow-up question, which is what, what are some of, challenge, some of the challenges that you're, you're proud of the way you've handled and, and kind of overcome? Because I'm assuming the fact that Vanishing is still a company now means that those challenges have been overcome. Um, and, and then perhaps the follow-up to that would be, um, was there any kind of methodology to the way you approach these challenges or is it a case-by-case basis? Wow, what a great question. Um, <laughs> the, there's truthfully only one way to answer it and it's, it's just to be totally honest and, and mm-hmm. probably to give you too much information about how our business works. So uh, I'll say these things, I may eventually regret them. I, our competitors may get information from this, whatever. But you know, I can't answer this with some kind of vague thing. So let's take the problem we're currently having right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a good problem to have, if we're going to use that phrase, mm-hmm. if we're going to call back to that. Yeah. But it's a real problem to have as well, which is that uh, we just ran our big Friday sale um, mm-hmm. and it was big, too big for us to handle. Mm-hmm. We were getting in and are still getting in so many orders that we can't keep up. We are getting in more orders than mm. we, so per day than we could send out in five to ten days. It's it's mm. absolute craziness, Jeez. and we've been through that situation three years in a row now. Three mm. years ago, the we had so many orders that I had to literally stand up from my desk and say to my wife, "I'm going to America. I have to get on a flight right now. I'm going to America to fix this," and mm. walked out the door. Literally booking the flight on the way to the airport. It was that 
that much of a rush. And I got on a plane and I went there and I did what I could to help fix it. So when I got home from that, I said to myself, that's never happening again. That, that That's not how a company should work. It shouldn't have to just get up and, and fly across the world. Mm. So we put processes in place. We sped things up. We then were ready for the next Black Friday. But sadly, <laughs> we weren't because all we'd done is we'd matched the the order numbers from the year before, mm. but then it doubled again. And so now we had that same problem of we were we were essentially still in the same place as we were last time because we, we were able to process more orders, but even more came in. And it's an exponential growth. And everything I do and we do to fix that problem, it exceeds our expectations every year. And so now if I sound tired, it's because I am genuinely physically <laughs> and emotionally exhausted. How do you fix this problem of getting out more orders than you can possibly handle. And I have solutions in place and we've we've made quick fire solutions. We've made improvements. We've brought extra team members and we're running extra shifts, but still more orders are coming in than we can handle. And that's a that's the biggest problem in our business right now. And it, it gets harder because we, you know, uh, transparent communication is, is, a, is a very important goal within our business. Mm-hmm. So we are informing customers of this. We are telling them, hey, there's going to be a delay with your order. Here's exactly uh, what we are doing about it. Here's why the problem exists. Um, but then what happens is, of course, the customer replies to say, uh, no worries, that's fine. But when do you think my order is going to go out? And then we reply saying, we think it'll be a few days. And then they reply again. So what's happening is by the one part of the business being busy, the rest of the business has right. this knocked over impact mm-hmm. of being busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a real snowball that it's just impossible to keep up with. Um, and we are handling it, I, I think. Uh, but And we're handling it in a way that I'm proud of. But the outside effect to the customers is that essentially we're, we're running uh, a few days slower than they expect mm-hmm. from us. And we're in a period now where people are buying for Christmas and they expect mm-hmm. immediate dispatch. Mm-hmm. So how can we solve it? We can solve it by um, putting in in new new systems, new business practices. New, throwing people at a problem is, is not normally something I do, but that's mm-hmm. one of the ways here. Um, and uh, basically open communication. So I can't tell you that I think we've handled it perfectly, but I think we've handled it as best we can. And I mm-hmm. think every year we're learning more. And just like that three years ago when I went to America uh, on no notice i've now sat here today now we're coming out of this problem thinking about ways that we can improve it but this time for the first time i think this time i'm not thinking about how can we improve it to match the numbers that we had this year but i'm thinking about how can we improve it to um to to match projections for next year and as crazy as it sounds that includes building an entire new floor in our warehouse like that's the extent of where we're thinking right now, literally building up a level, doubling up our warehouse space so that we can. And that one's that's just for your book, right? Just for my book, yeah. I mean, honestly, that like that that book was a problem, right? Because the book's right, surprise yeah. success, nobody expected it to go out. So once we actually did get a handle on the the, the Big Friday orders, the book came out, and yeah. that just pushed us right back again. So you know, that was kind of my fault for wanting to stick to that launch date, and maybe we shouldn't. So yeah, that's that's an honest mm-hmm. review of, no, yeah, of where yeah. Banishing stands right now. I appreciate now. that because I think it's important. Maybe not, whatever important. Yeah, I guess that's a good word for it. Whenever I read, um, I guess when anyone reads or listens or really just spends any time gathering, uh, consuming information from founders of companies, there's always this um, 
and I don't know why it's surprising when it's when it's always the case where you know you listen and it's like yeah and so we did this we fixed this but then this problem came oh and then we fixed this but then this problem came and fixing this problem caused this problem <laughs> and then when we solve this problem it's like a hydra and it caused these two problems and and somehow you always expect going in that's like oh yeah you know this is nike like it's it's huge nike is perfect you know and then you read and you're like well that sounds very human and like some of the problems they were dealing with it's like uh, again it's it's just a question of scale it's not really like they're the same problems that, that you might have being the person reading it but it's like uh it's almost like a the type if not the the volume and the quantity and the scale and magnitude it's still similar and so i think it's i think it's important for people to hear that and even no matter the scale of the company those things always happen and i'm sure you've been purposely um what's the word uh Purposely not mentioning, I'm sure, the countless nights where you've just been working through the night and just putting in the grind. Um, but I'm definite that must have happened. Probably is happening. Actually, is happening right now as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> so I know it for a fact. But I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just uh, kind of want to say it. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I talk a lot uh, amongst the, the Vanish Link team uh, about a state that I think we've just started to come out of, but uh, that I called the messy middle stage of, mm. of the company. Like we were this startup and we were um, we were growing quick. But then when a company grows quick, you get to this stage where you you have to catch up. Your processes mm-hmm. have to catch up. Your uh, as down to, you know, your accountants have to catch up because your accountants were accounting you as a small business and now they're going, mm-hmm. Oh, what is this? How are you dealing with so many like mm-hmm. so many transactions now? Um, and you have all of these things and these um you know, you, you get to a certain number of employees and now you have different mm-hmm. regulations that you have to follow and all of the things that you probably wouldn't expect a magic shop to have to deal mm-hmm. with, uh, right. you know, health and safety checks, insurance, mm-hmm. all these things. And we were in what I was calling the messy middle stage, which was that point where the company had grown to a size where now we had to take it seriously like a, a full-size real, I don't like the word real company, but I hope you know what I mean by that. It's not to insult a small company. Mm -hmm. But now we had all these processes that we very quickly had to catch up with and and create and develop and understand and learn uh, because we'd grown so quickly. So now I think we're just out of the messy middle Mm -hmm. stage, uh, but it was a few years of Mm -hmm. way harder work than it ever was, but just because we needed to get all of these things right. Mm. It's It's like that. It's, I was just gonna say, it's like that. It's that interesting, like like Benji said. It's just like that, that interesting like dichotomy between like you know you like you read about the successes and you're like oh great great and then somehow your mind just like skips over like <laughs> the grind and you're like yeah 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 I'll grind like yeah I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll work hard like I'll deal with the problems when they come and then I don't know it's just one of those it's one of those weird things at least for me though I've really just had to experience like when we literally just think it's gone wrong. Like, I don't know, like recently we just launched uh, our product to another person's like email list. Uh, and like, I went in and I was like, Oh my gosh, like the formatting's all wrong. <laughs> like even the image for the product was wrong. And like, we should have like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm making us sound really bad here, but like we fixed it in like, you know, two minutes or whatever. But it, it was just like one of those, cause we just didn't check it on mobile. It's just, I don't know. And it's one of those things that I will never forget now that I like, we always check it on mobile before, but now I will always check it on mobile. I don't know. And again, this is a really small problem compared to, you know, building another floor of a, a storage. <laughs> uh, but I think it's one of the things that that's just interesting that you kind of have to just like learn and you can't, you can read about it, but you can't internalize it. I feel like unless you, you live through it. 
you literally are you, every day. Email is a perfect example, right? When we were mm-hmm. a small company, we were managing our own email as in like newsletters, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during the messy middle stage, we had to go, well, we can no longer do this because of spam right. complaints. We can't handle that and uh, spam traps and all of these things and delivery uh, percentages mm-hmm. and reports. You know, yeah. This is, we can't do this. So now we have to upgrade our entire email system and find, find a company who are experts in that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've been through that phase now. I'd like to think, I hope that we're actually kind of pushing out of that now. But yeah, mm. still, I, hopefully, we never stop having growing pains. Mm. Right. Actually, speaking of growing pains, um, I'm going to pounce on that because that is uh, leads me to the the question I was going to ask, which was, it's a little bit hard when you're in the market, as in a customer. To, to get a feel for how big the market is or the trajectory of the market, or, you know, if it's growing uh, or, or if so, where, you know, maybe one uh, niche within the market's growing and another's uh, diminishing. I think when you're at, um, when you're running a company like Vanish and you get to kind of get that mile high view. And so I once read a thing, uh, I think it was, it was actually Josh who said that he estimated there was under, under 100,000 professional magicians. Um, and so I was actually trying to do the maths on like what percent of magicians are professional, then take that times 100,000 by blah, 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 whatever, and try and like figure out how many magicians actually are. Um, but even that's just a totally inaccurate uh, estimation. So obviously you don't have to re- reveal any kind of numbers, but how do you see the market? Uh, market isn't the right word. It sounds too kind of uh, transactional. Do you see the uh, community? As, as a growing thing from where you are and yeah go on just I so so I, i'm gonna say that josh way overestimated uh, how many professional magicians yeah. i mean to are. be fair to him he said under a hundred thousand so yeah so that know, could be one, one right you know, yeah really right. <laughs> um you know probably under ten thousand professional magicians mm. throughout the world i don't know like mm. but then you start to question what what does that consider that consider right, right. george entertainers juggler what, yeah. you know, whatever um so yeah, it's it's a really interesting industry. Like, I'll use that word again. I don't mean it mm-hmm. in a derogatory way. In the same way that you didn't. Uh, let's mm-hmm. say community. It's easier mm-hmm. um, because I don't think there is any way of knowing the figures. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I can tell you how many customers we've got, and I, I very much make it a mission for my not to spend too much time worrying about mm-hmm. other magic shops and magic producers. I, I, as crazy as it sounds, if you look at my like web browsing history, pretty much the only <laughs> site I look at is Vanishing Ink. Um, so I, I don't worry about what everybody else is doing. So, but the problem with the magic community is not everybody identifies as a magician. It's not like when you work as uh, a programmer, yeah. for example, everybody uses the job description programmer or developer. Magic's not like that. So you can't say to Facebook, hey, I want you to target everybody called a magician. And how many people are that, by the way? Or or you can't say to Google, how many people are searching for magic terms? Yeah, I tried. And and Facebook is, I'm sure your your ads are far more sophisticated than us, but I'm sure you've seen as well, Facebook is just making it harder and harder and harder. It's like, oh, we're we're removing this interest or we're removing this interest. And like, Mm -hmm. you you can no longer, if you're a fan of Divernant, that's no longer like a demographic on Facebook. It's it's, it's just really hard to to pin down. Yeah. And Facebook are constantly evolving. And as we'll see early next year, they they kind of, they they slow down later in the year and speed up Mm -hmm. earlier in the year. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a problem. Like I, I can't tell you, 
that I really do have an overall view of the magic community or the magic world because I just don't think it's possible to get it. Um, that said, um, let's just say stay tuned. Um, but I, I have a solution and typical to the Vanish Nink ways. I, I don't want this to become a Vanish Nink thing, but I, I have an idea and it's something that Josh and I have been working on for the last couple of months, just kind of informally brainstorming. But we think we might have a way to, to help magicians understand other magicians and how many magicians there are and mm. all that kind of stuff. So we think we have a solution to this, uh, but we're not doing it actually as a commercial thing. We're, we're not doing it to selfishly gather data about Vanished Inc. Instead, we're trying to, if if we ever pull off this project, we're, we're trying to kind of let magic see what magic is in some ways. Mm. Um, so yeah, who knows? Maybe Maybe we'll eventually get to this project, but... If we do, I, I will be truly fascinated on what the magic community is. You know, what, what do magicians do for a living, yeah. for example? If they're not professional, what's the average? Uh, is there an average yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, profession? I don't know. So I, I want to know these things just because I'm so interested. Or what professions you know, drive people into magic? Yeah. Or, or, or it, it, around, like, are they magician and does that predispose them to be in this profession? Or is being in this pro- profession pre- predispose them to being a magician? I don't know. I'm right. And, and even looking at, like the top magicians, right? I mean, I mean, like for instance, like just, I mean, you Andy, like computer programmer. Like I, I'm thinking also of, I think it was Darwin Ortiz who, uh, lawyer, he was in lawyer, right? And then there was another, I can't remember who was um, Doctor Rubenstein saying that was in a uh, Juilliard for like saxophone or something. Anyway, just like you know, I want to say David yeah. Rupp. I don't know. I think it was David. Yeah, and just like you know these. Really like, and then you know, I just think of like the brains, like I don't know, like Darren Brown, like Max Maven, these like uh, Chan Canister, you know, just like really clever people, you know, <laughs> who end up in magic. I, I do think that's a fascinating question, Andy, that you propose. Because it's like, what, what is it like? What is everyone doing that that ends up with them in this niche? You know? Yeah, I know. There's such a disproportionate amount of magician uh, computer programmers who are interested in magic, uh, which I find weird. Uh, so yeah, it will be just just personally satisfying to, to get an idea of of what that is, and that's why I'm always talking to magicians at conventions, trying to find out about them. What what's their background? How do they get right. into magic? Why do they do magic? Um, and then I, I did a survey um, a couple of years ago. I wrote wrote a book called Focusing on Magic, which is all about um, how I study magic. I, mean, I say it's a book. It was a it was more of an essay. We call it. We have this series called Astonishing Essays, and it was part mm-hmm. of that. Um, so I did a little survey amongst my Facebook friends just like questions like how much do you practice? Where do you practice? How often do you practice? And it's fascinating to see that magicians don't really practice all that much. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I, I wouldn't have known if I hadn't have, have questioned that on Facebook. Or at least the bad ones don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I yeah, uh, I, w- I wish we all practice more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. The- it's funny as well because on, on like Instagram, for example, it was making me think of this when you were saying earlier about people who even like whether or not they identify themselves as a magician. So we run like um, a magic Instagram page. Um, well, obviously, because that's where we message you from. And I know obviously Vanishing Inc. has a magic Instagram page. And we see a lot of our followers are like, you know, Magic uh, Dave 24, like um, uh, Jennifer the Magician, you know, that kind of thing. And they, they have the name Magician, their profile pictures, like an ace of spades, and, and they post magic. But I know personally, like, I run, well, Jacob mainly runs the account, but like, we've run the account. But if you look at my personal profile, it's just my name. Like, there's nothing on there that identifies me as a magician. <laughs> and so it does make me wonder, like, how many, if, if you have already, like, hundreds of thousands of people with the name, like, magic in their username, 
really i would i would estimate that's not like the general thing to do that's probably just the super core hot group and so extrapolating that i have no idea how many magicians there are on instagram but like you said there's not really an easy way to find out yeah i find it interesting that there are certain magicians who are famous within our industry have like 35 40 50,000 yeah. followers uh, and yeah. like that's more magicians than i expected to be around so yeah I, I wish i knew the answers to that just purely because i'm fascinated in it yeah me too. okay um i wasn't planning on, ask, on asking this but jake was reminding me when he was talking about um max maven and uh and darren brown and just all these magicians that are really clever how do you feel about um how do you and I've got to be careful with this one. Yeah, word this carefully. <laughs> how do you? Do I think I'm clever? No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> how do you? Although you can answer that if you want. How do you derive meaning from magic? Because I know there's a lot of very clever magicians, and sometimes people might be tempted to ask. And and I won't lie. Sometimes I ask myself this, and and to be honest, thankfully I'm I'm young enough that I still think, okay, I got options, and um, the experience with gathering is n- not just in terms of magic. It's, it's you know, how do you run a company? And then, you know, I want to go and start a company in a, in a different industry or, you know, something more uh, like I, I always wanted to go into you know, social impact startups, but you're learning the skills at the same. So I can kind of like, that, that's kind of my trajectory. I don't know. I'm not committing myself to anything and I'll stay in magic. But how do you, there's a lot of really clever magicians. And sometimes people might ask the veracity, is that the word? I don't know. The aggression at which they tackle problems and solve those problems as magicians with their significant brain power. That brain power could be, in theory, um, put into a task which would have a more, let's say, environmentally beneficial impact to other people. Um, and obviously, I'm not suggesting nobody should be a magician because that's, that's ludicrous. But I think it becomes a question of where do you derive the meaning? And because there has to be meaning, right? Otherwise, it's well, it's meaningless. So where do you derive the meaning in expending the effort in solving magical problems? Wow. That's a big question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry to ask you that. Uh, and you know what? That that says more about you for thinking about that than it does about any answer I could ever give. Um, uh, yeah. I, this yeah. is our big question, Andy. This is mine. Not to like put myself there like, yeah, I'm clever. But like we talk about this a lot. So, I mean, if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Um, but it's like, it is something that really interests us. Uh it's 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 such a great question, and you, you, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I think you've stumped me. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you. Let me say one thing. Magic throughout the years has set the tone for technology and for science and inventions. And I, I don't say that to try and justify what magic is, or or even to try and use the kind of the standard patterns that people give. Um, but think about, let's take Houdini, right? Houdini was an escapologist. He essentially popularized, invented, if you will, um, the idea of uh, escaping from handcuffs. But mm-hmm. Houdini wasn't just escaping from handcuffs. He was escaping from his background. He was escaping from the world that he was in. You know, he was using magic to rise up. And so I, I don't think we should dismiss what magic can bring on an individual level. So should I be solving some world problem over creating a card trick? I mean, I, don't, I just don't think I have the abilities to do it. If I did, then yeah, I probably should be. Um, 
but for me, magic is a is a passion. It's a pastime. It's a hobby. It's a it's a job. And yeah, I mean, I I've got around the houses here. I I, I don't have an answer for you, um, but no, I I, like, I, 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 I admire you for asking that question because I, I think it's it's a wonderful wonderful question. If I can glue something you in in yeah. forty years when you've finally well when any of us have got the answer, I don't know if that will happen yeah. in forty years, but I, yeah. I think it's interesting what you're saying because it's kind of that argument of micro versus macro, right? In the way of like, okay, oh, like I want to sell, I want to like solve climate change, right? Okay, take that as like a big, big problem, right? And it's kind of like, well, either I can be like, well, in ten years I'll be able to start a startup. Or I can say I'll join a community now of people that are, you know, going out in the streets or trying to like raise social awareness, right? And maybe that will, you know, and 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 or even, you know, I want to, you know, <laughs> getting really deep here, but like, you know, world peace. Everyone wants world peace, right? But it's like, okay, well, I can't do anything unless I'm a president of a country, right? Or I'm a politician, right? So it's kind of that micro versus macro in the way of like you could say like, okay, maybe some of the top magicians would have been able to solve like this question or, or this question or this problem. Right. But like in the grand scheme of things, maybe their micro actions of like inspiring people and bringing like beautiful magic and allowing people to be entertained and allowing them this space of wonder, uh, would be a bigger benefit in their lives than perhaps what would have taken. I don't know that, that, that would be my attempt from what you said, Andy, like at kind of, giving some yeah. sort of answer to that as an argument between micro and macro. I mean, you know what I want to do? I I want you guys to make this a thing. Like you should interview a hundred magicians and see what their answer is. Mm. Um, like I want to know what the answer to this question is. Uh, I mean, there's, I worry that the answer is mostly giving an excuse as to why we do magic. And, right. you know, we, we need no excuse because magic is, a, is an art. It needs no reason to, to do it. Uh, you know, you could say the same thing to a painter. Why are you wasting your time painting a, a picture when you could be solving right. hunger? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if I'm going to give the, the excuse mm-hmm. uh, to it that I think will be the standard answer, it's that magic takes people out of the problems in the world temporarily. Uh, mm-hmm. mag- magic gives us, but I'm not a naturally poetic person, but a better poetic person can give their eyes. You know, magic gives us hope. Magic gives us peace uh, away from a, a busy world. Magic just helps us clear our minds. But I don't want to give you that this kind of generic answer. Instead, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. And we're lucky that there are many geniuses in magic and some of them have put their minds to, to many very important things. And yeah, maybe that's how I finish my answer to this question i've been very lucky enough to i've been very lucky enough to meet some magicians who are secretly doing phenomenal things in this world so um it's possible to dedicate time to magic and dedicate your time to 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 politics to to business to uh, to inventions to to changing the world yeah there are magicians doing all of those things so uh, maybe it's okay that that we're not all doing that Mm mm-hmm and I, I certainly don't mean to um, <laughs> demean your life's work. Uh, no, I know exactly where you go with that. I, I, yeah, I take yeah, no yeah. offense from it. I don't think any listener will take any offense from it. I think it's a fantastic question. And uh, yeah, maybe in a few few weeks I might have the answer. But uh, yeah. well, we'll happily have you back anytime. Um, <laughs> and of course, I should uh, answer on your behalf that um, we, we were talking micro and micro before. Obviously, Jacob brought that up. And, you know, on a, on a sense... 
I guess it depends what you define as macro, right? But vanishing is pretty much macro in terms of magic industry. And so I'm thinking of people who wouldn't have been able to like for some reason this is kind of a weird tangent, but my, my browser like always thinks I'm in India for some reason. And I've been able to fix it. I don't know why. Um like my IP is in the UK. Maybe it's I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a tech thing we can hop on after. But anyway, it always thinks I'm in India. And so when I go to Vanish Insight and I, I'm trying to buy a book, it, it says, oh, yeah, let's, let's ship to India for free. Go on, you know. Just have really? it. Oh, no, wow. to India. And so I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the micro macro of mm-hmm. people in, in India who may not have, again, I don't know. I'm not the expert on uh, magic stores in India, but I'm guessing there's not an, uh, it's not like McDonald's. It's not a magic store in every corner. And so in terms of the global reach and impact, it is pretty macro what you're doing at Vanishing. Um, even if, but I guess, I guess at the same time, I don't want to give you an easy way out. Cause that is like a, that's the company as a whole, um, rather than you as an individual, though you as the individual did start the company. So who knows what to draw the line? Um, yeah, well, look, uh, message me, uh, message me your IP address and, uh, we, we, can, <laughs> we can, uh, put you on the list, uh, of, uh, yeah, we, we have a, a secret list where we can make sure people are directed to the right site. I've not heard of that. Uh, it's going to India, but yeah. It makes it feel better. It happens on Penguin as well. <laughs> that's yeah you know what that is i guess your uh yeah your, your ip address is in some weird database somewhere it's it's so weird uh but yeah well the, that question is blown my mind because yeah I, I don't have the answer uh however i um so one thing that you should check out on vanish nick is this thing uh sharemagic.org we have a, a charity like a registered 501c3 charity in america where we are trying to, to do better things for magic and for the world in general so if you know, if any of your listeners have ways that they think that we can help, then they should get in touch because you know, we you also fundraising to do it. You have like a youth. Um, uh, I don't want to misrepresent it. Is it like a youth scholarship fund yeah. or you some kind of youth scholarship thing, right? Youth scholarship fund, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea of that is that you know Josh and I were going to magic conventions when we were kids, and we know that it, how impactful that is to somebody's life. Uh, to, to a young magician's life. And we also know that not every young magician can afford to go to magic conventions. And we wanted to be a part of that change. So we, uh, every year, bring about 80 kids to, to our events. Some That's of them, cool. we, we just pay for the, the registration. Other ones, we pay for the hotel. Some, we even pay for the travel. Some, we've even taken around the dealer's room and bought the magic, you know, as and when their, their situations um, dictate it. Right. So that to us is a really important thing. And it's something that we are very actively expanding in fact the, the pandemic kind of um kind of slowed things down we had a, a young magicians convention that we were organizing that was going to be last june um but let's just say watch this space which i hate those kind of teasers but we have some really really <laughs> interesting things that we are doing because we're so passionate about that so mm-hmm. this time next year hopefully we're looking back having done something pretty big for the magic world for the for young magicians mm-hmm. In addition to what you already do, of course. <laughs> now you're just sucking up because you feel like you offended me with the. the well, magic. actually, I'm. Well, maybe. Um, but I actually, did think of thing <laughs> I was going to raise, and so um, <laughs> I still think that after I say this, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. But I'm, I'm just thinking back to what you said earlier about the kind of um, uh, maybe the cliche excuse, not excuse, just whatever. What magicians say when uh, the question I posed, obviously being, you know, we we bring wonders to people, we help them lift them out of the state, and blah blah blah. But, not to uh, demean it, although I realize it's hard to say that with a straight face when I just said blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> the, the question I'm going at is that 
a lot good of stuff, what, good stuff. <laughs> a lot of what you're you're talking about here is um i believe a distinction between the symptoms and and roots right so like magic as a elevating people and, and bringing wonder to them i think in a sense you're only ever treating the symptom okay so maybe like they have a bad economy or healthcare in their area isn't great and so they're having a bad day a magician comes along makes a coin vanish their face lights up in a smile all he's done really is treat the symptom and, and the symptom is just the manifestation of the root problem and so magic in, in itself doesn't really solve the root problem that's going on unless i'm missing something it only re- and, and that's not to say that treating symptoms is is not good otherwise we wouldn't have such a huge pharmaceutical industry but at an extent there's also you have to take into account that that root problems are also problems and, and need people working on them smart people um and yeah so anyway that's that's all i'd say in, in reply to that is this I, distinction i think you can add as well though the, the interesting thing is um i don't know when it comes to like symptoms and like roots the, the thing is like I, I i i spoke to one of my friends who's a doing his master's right now in, in, in geography, right? And we were, he's, he's in Hull. And, and he was talking about, we were talking about this map, right? Um, uh, and it's a map of London, right? Mm-hmm. And it shows the poverty zones, okay? Uh, and then there's a map, and it's from, it, was, it was made in 1901, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's another map that they put up right next to it, and it's a map of the poverty zones in London in, 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 20, in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same. It's not changed one bit, right? It, the, the zones have not—they've not got any smaller, they've not like got any bigger. That like the zones are exactly the same as they were in 1901, right? Which is not to be depressing, right? It's just that—that—that's uh, a that, that, fact, right? But I, I think the interesting thing is like, um, I guess you'd have to get granular though, because like even if the zones the same, does that mean like the per capita, like like how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, right? That—that's just like the main poverty as a whole has hugely decreased from 1901 to, to now. no 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 certainly certainly i'm not because obviously they're not the same poor as they were in, in 1901 right yeah yeah what i'm trying to say with that is the interesting thing is like so i was trying to debate with him whether that's the okay, this game really deep no i don't want to go this deep with it we're, we're, we're in a debate basically whether that's their fault right or whether it's like the fault of the society, right? Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole debate. I don't know if there's a right answer to that. Um, but I think the interesting thing with that is like, say you do someone, you do a magic trick for someone, and for one second they believe that there's something greater than they are, and that there's like, a ma- like there's this magic moment, right, where they're taken out of their world and transported somewhere different. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we can define how much effect that can have on somebody, you know. Because you don't know that person that you did the coin trick might go home and think, you know what, like, if that's possible, like, maybe I can do something else that's impossible, right? And, and so, yeah, anyway, that, mm-hmm. I'm, I think that it's a it's a whole long question, and, and yeah. but I, I think no. there is definitely an argument on both sides. I'll put in one final point, and I swear I'll shut up, which is, um, I think the, the other issue with that is what you're saying in terms of, like, you know, you show them the trick. Mm-hmm. Can't define what effect that has. Maybe it does, you know, give them the inner motivation and the, the drive to, to take them out of poverty. But I think the issue is still that you're placing all the responsibility on their shoulders, right? And it's still an individual thing, and like they, right? Which which is the work. which is the debate between whether it's the person's fault or the fault of the society, right? Yeah. Whereas treating the root that takes the accountability for it, if, if you want to use that word, right. of the individual. Whereas even but, still the situation you're saying, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but it's still. The accountability for all of it is still resting on the shoulders yeah. of the individual, and I'm I'm realizing this is a this is the Andy Gladwin uh, episode. <laughs> and we've been speaking for 
far too long, so uh, I'll shut up. No, no, I am fascinated. The, the, yeah, uh, I have no more interesting than you guys, just because you had me on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I, I can say is, I um, we organized an event in Costa Rica last year um, called the Retreat, and it was a retreat. We have magicians uh, from all over the world fly in and spend time with our uh, our lecturers that we booked. Danny Dortiz was there, and uh, Rune Clan. It was just this most amazing four days you know, we went zip lining we did all these cool things but you know what i remember most <laughs> zip lining sorry <laughs> it was the whole idea of the retreat is to bring um it's to basically to feel like you're going on vacation with your favorite magicians you know we're going to south africa next year with danny garcia and guy hollingworth like how cool is that you get to go on a safari with your yeah, favorite yeah. magicians <laughs> uh, but so um the thing I remember most about Costa Rica is not Danny Dorsey's lecture. It's not how mm. funny Rune Clan was. It's that we brought these underprivileged five young magicians in to perform for us. Mm. And these kids have, their life has been changed by magic. Mm. Their lives, they, you know, they were brought up in absolute poverty. They, um, they, they were basically, their family were insisting, their families, or at least one of them was insisting that they leave school early so that they can work to earn money for the family. And this mm. kid decided he was going to take up magic for his school magic club. And it was the magician that was helping teach them was the one who convinced him to stay at school, to learn more. And now this kid's going to university. And this wow. is all through magic. And that's, that's where magic can really change people. And it's through the kindness yeah. and generosity of magicians. Um, uh, the magician in this case uh, is a young magician called Diego who lives in Costa Rica, who's the most inspiring young magician. And he's changed lives mm. for uh, magicians, for, for kids who, who were brought up in poverty. And now these kids are thriving and shining. And that would have never happened if it wasn't for the kindness mm. of one magician. And, and that's what's so great about magic. Uh-huh. And you can't even quantify that as well. It's not like it's a case of... I mean, exactly. You can't, you can't quantify it, so I don't know why I'm trying. So, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking really from theory. You're talking yeah. from experience, so I think it de facto goes to you at this point. Um, well, the great thing is, it's not an argument, or you know, there's, there's right. no, there's no right or wrong here. Like, I, I'm just yeah. very lucky to have had that experience because I think it really, it just shows me how important yeah. magic is, and. Right. Um, and stop me if I'm going on too long with this kind of stuff. But no, no, no. Um, is it the Burt Wonderstone movie where they um, uh, they is it Operation Presto? They call it where they they go to I can't remember like Africa or somewhere like that. And they say, "Hey, everyone, we've we've got exactly what you need right now." And they to these hungry kids, they're giving them magic sets. <laughs> um, and that's wow. that's not how you fix that. And that's one thing we're always really careful about with the charity work that we do for Adventure Inc. Is you know. Uh, we need to help people in the ways that we can help them and that best impacts them. Um, mm. And, you know, there is a, a magician who, um, I can't say too much for this because it's mm. it's kind of not, not the done thing, but mm. there is a magician who we were able to help flee, um, uh, flee his country. His family was stuck in, uh, let's just say, a, a very dangerous, imbalanced okay. country. Yeah. Um, and And through magic... Truly, through the generosity of magicians, we were able to help him get his family out. We were able to set him up in another country. We were able to navigate all of the legal issues of that. Mm. And we were able to give this magician a home. And, and now we've helped um, 
again, I'm trying to be quite vague, but we've helped him in a way that he's now earning money in this new country. He's supporting his family. He's now building a house in, in this new country. That's all in the space of a year and a half. And that's only done through magic. If we hadn't have met this guy through magic, uh, I, I don't know where he would be now, but that's purely through the kindness and generosity of magicians. So I think we should we should be very aware that we can impact other people's lives and it's not the solution isn't to show them a trick yeah. and go hey forget about where you are right, but the right. solution is just that the magic world is such a great and kind place that we can do these things together it reminds me of um there's a guy uh, gary bensavinga he's um he's like a copywriter not not sometimes when we say copyright i wonder how many people think we mean in terms of legal copyright in terms of writing advertisements mm-hmm. and he's probably like the best there ever was um and and he has a, he has a website called ben, uh, I think it's like Pennsylvania Bullets or something um, where he just distills life lessons and, and stuff he's done about copyright and, and silver bullets yeah yeah Pennsylvania Bullets or silver bullets whatever and one of them is um, he talks about this idea of the red shirts and so his example is um, if he were to take a uh, I don't know young apprentice with him to a football game uh, let, let's say it's American football at this point and then he told him all right I'm going to give you a minute on this time. I want you just to you know take a look at what's going on. So the apprentice turns around, takes a look at what's going on, starts the timer, ends the timer after one minute, and says, "All right, how'd you do?" And he says, "Yeah, I mean, I saw quite a lot of stuff. There's football players, these, this, this." And he says, "Okay, how many people did you see wearing red shirts?" And he goes, "Uh, yeah, I have no idea." And so he says, "Okay, I'm going to give you a, a second chance this time. When the minute ends, for every red shirt you tell me you saw, or every red shirt you can point out." I'll give you like $10,000. So it gives him another minute. This time when he finishes, he's like, all right, red shirt there, red shirt there, red shirt there. He comes away, walks away like a millionaire, right? And and the whole point is about the brain. Um, and I'm speaking from a non-scientific uh, point of view. The brain being a mechanism for um, observation and, and looking for target, like a target hunting thing from, you know, hunter gatherer. It's like when you when you feed your brain a target, it will find it. So when you when you when you know you, you want to look for red shirts, you find red shirts. I think it's a similar thing with meaning. And again, um, feel free to call me out on any of this if it sounds like it's too much of a cop out. But in terms of magic, and I think anything, it's it's often a question of as long as you are always looking to find meaning, provide value, and do things like you're saying. Which I'm assuming, even if you haven't expressed it consciously like this, must be a subconscious thing in order for you to even spot these kind of situations like the one you've been describing. Um, I think anyone can do that. And, and as long as anyone has that uh, predisposition and uh, the, in the back of their mind, they're always looking for ways to provide meaning as an ongoing thing and not a one-off thing. You can probably find it in anything. Although I'm still not, I'm not saying that's like the end of the debate. That's like, you know, the answer. I'm just, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. I know. You know, I totally agree. And I think we've seen this several times in this podcast, right? Being able to, to, to connect, magic with computer programming or, or those kind of things and and yeah of course you can find anything you want if you're looking in the right place you know if you if you're looking with the right mindset um and yeah we're just lucky that magic is such a blank canvas that we can fit mm. ourselves to it we can fit our, our goals our personalities our desires whatever we want that magic allows us to do that it's and, and we should never forget that i think that magic truly is a canvas that does not exist until we put ourselves onto it. Well, uh, I think that's a line fitting, 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 worthy, what's it? 
Sorry, you can tell it's been two hours. Um, that's a line <laughs> worthy of ending the podcast on. I think that's what Jacob was going to say as well. Yeah. Um, so given I can't speak, I'll let him finish it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much for, for everything you shared with us. Um, I hope that the listeners benefited from it in a selfish way. Definitely Benji and I benefited from it uh, in a big way. Uh, it was, it's, been, it's been great getting to know you. Uh, and thank you for for allowing us to make this podcast so long, because um, and, and for sharing as, as much as you did. Because I, I know that um, to answer some of our questions, you you had to share some stuff you probably weren't <laughs> expecting to talk about on, on the podcast today. Um, so for 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 anyone um, that wants to get in contact with you, Andy, um, we like to just kind of give you the floor. You know, who do you want to hear from? Where can they get in touch with you? Um, kind of, you know, anything that you want to shout out. Um, it, it's an Yep. If you want to find me, I want to hear from you. Uh, you can Google my name, Google Vanishing Inc. Uh, you will uh, you will stumble across me, uh, even if you don't want to. So yeah, uh, you know, uh, let's just take this opportunity to say Vanishing Inc. is always looking at hiring great magicians with, with great skill sets. So yeah, if you are a programmer, we're especially looking to hear from you right now. So so get in touch if you're an experienced expert programmer. Then uh, then let's talk. Um, just Google Vanishing Inc. Jobs and you. Can I know what we're uh, recruiting for, but more importantly, you know, if, if I can ever help with anyone, you know, just get in touch. I'm always around. Okay, perfect. Well, again, absolute pleasure, Andy. Uh, thank you so much. We're, we're going to end the podcast here, and uh, we'll, Thanks, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Okay.